Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. I'm here today with Lindsay Fennelly, and we are talking about the importance of understanding mental health, taking care of your mental health, and this is a very special episode for Mental Health Awareness Month, which is this month, May. Every year during Mental Health Awareness Month, EFR likes to provide resources and information to the community and especially those who have our EAP benefits, so I'm especially excited to have Lindsay on the podcast today. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. Thanks for being here and thank you for your time. I first met you not in per I, I met you in an, at an in-person event in 2019. You spoke at the Iowa Healthy Estate Initiative Conference in Ames, Iowa. And I was really motivated and inspired by kind of your vulnerability and your transparency as it relates to you know what you've experienced as a human being, right? We all go through through things in life and I think oftentimes our answer to the question, how are you doing today, is, I'm good, how are you? I'm good, I'm okay. Uh, But we don't always reveal kind of what's going on and we don't always ask for help. So I thought that this could be a really enriching conversation for our listeners to understand um, a little bit about your experiences um, with mental illness and how you take care of your own mental health and just to kind of open up that conversation and get people more comfortable talking about this. So to kick us off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I, I would say the most important hat or role I have is um, being a mom uh, to a seven and a four-year-old. Um, neither one of them listen to me. Um, so the fact that you're just listening to me for the next 30 minutes um, feels like a welcome uh, treat <laughs> on a Wednesday, rainy afternoon here in Ames. Uh, but no, all jokes aside, um, you know, I, I think the um, my journey and my walk as a mental health advocate has no plan, has no structure, has no intention um, other than and trying to serve. Um, and what I recognized was after I started telling people about my condition, after I told people my story of being hospitalized twice in 2013 and then again in 2018, um, that there was a lot of strength that came out of not just in me sharing, um, but in me being able to share. And um, my transparency and my voice Um, And my willingness to be an open book about this um, has helped me just as much as it's helped the people who are listening. Yeah, I think that's important for people to remember is that they can find help through telling their story or by opening up and they don't have to open up on a podcast or, you know, be a speaker at a large conference. They can open up to a friend, a family member, a counselor, and they can you know, gain a lot back from that. So thank you. And I have a five-year-old, so I also appreciate the 30 minutes here where we're listening to each other <laughs> and, and maybe not asking um, our young children to do the same things over and over. So uh, yeah. what, what time are we doing this tomorrow? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So share a little bit about, you know, prior to you starting to be a mental health advocate, kind of what, what transpired in your life that made you think, you know what, I, I think I need some help and, and I want to get help. And also I want to help other people. Yeah. I think the, uh, for me, the eye opener was in 2013. I was, uh, 
I was in the behavioral health unit after not eating, sleeping, or drinking, a total mismanagement of self-care. Um, I got out. Uh, I tried to understand from the doctor why I was in there. Um, they told me my condition. I told them I was an Iowa State All-American. I got drafted from the WNBA. I have over 6,000 Twitter followers. Um, basically, you're a moron. Um, right. In much worse language, I said that to the doctor. Um, and from 2013 to 2018, I tried not to publicly, um, you know, in building businesses and having two beautiful children and carry on in a, a successful marriage. Um, but I really tried to, from the outside looking in, let people know, like, I just didn't take care of myself. Um, but I think the, the trigger for me was in 2013, um, if you were mentally ill, you were deranged, you were violent, mm -hmm. you were suicidal, um, there was something wrong with you. And so I didn't wanna tell anyone uh, what, they, what they told me I had. I didn't wanna take medication. I didn't want um, therapy, like that was for weak people. And when you're a former athlete and you're taught to go, 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 and you push through pain and you ignore your yeah. feelings, it was kind of the antithesis of what I had grown up knowing. Um, and so in 2018, um, very similar uh, situation happened. Again, I had a manic breakdown, um, this time hospitalized for 21 days. And um, it was then that I realized this impacted my, my kids, which I didn't have prior. Um, it certainly impacted my marriage. Um, and it was uh, also not the end of the world if I took three and a half pills and saw a licensed therapist every other week. Yeah. Um, and I think that big transition and shift happened due to a lot of factors, um, but certainly my own awareness and um, ability to say that, you know, I needed help and, and I was willing to get it. Yeah. And that is such a hard first step for a lot of people to accept and then take is that, you know, I need help. And I, I can relate to a couple of the things you've said so far. Um, when you mentioned at first that, you know, by you sharing your story, it's it's allowing other people to kind of gain strength from you, but you're also getting a lot back from being open. Um, I, I'm a member of Al-Anon, which a lot of people are unfamiliar with. Al-Anon is kind of the counterpart to AA. So if you um, have an alcoholic in your life, it could be a partner, a family member, a friend. It's your way to get support. And I was so resistant to go there and talk about the things that I was experiencing. But once I did that, I was like, oh my gosh, like I have this whole new network of people in my life that understand what I'm going through. I'm providing as much support to them as they are to me. And it's just a really beautiful relationship. So I think whether it's um, a substance use disorder, a mental illness, whatever it might be, I think just being transparent and talking about it can be so, so helpful. Uh, you mentioned self-care and in 2013, you kind of had a lack of self-care from a go, go, go lifestyle. And you're a very um, achievement oriented person, I would imagine, uh, just based on all of your accomplishments. Could you, if you can remember, you know, what did a self-care routine look like for you 2013 and prior to 2013? Um, or what did you think self-care was at that point in your life compared to what it is now? You know, I didn't even know the word self-care existed. I didn't know it was a terminology. I didn't know it was a verb. Um, <laughs> I didn't know it was truly anything um, that actually mattered. Um, and so I think the, um, the best description I have for me is in 2013, if you were to watch me shower, um, I would have my phone in my hand. I'd be tweeting, responding to an email, sending back a text. Um, my shower would last like 35 seconds. I'd have dinner on the stove. Um, then once we had kids, it would be taking care of, like it was just constantly yeah. 
I was, I was always doing and never being. And I think yeah. for me, that's been one of the biggest, um, even still today challenges is I like having my hand in a lot of different things. I, I still own a business. Um, I sold a business last year. I work for a company right now. I'm doing a podcast. Right. Like right. I, I enjoy the, um, the gifts that I, I want to share with the world, but I am just still working on how do I do it in a way that prioritizes Lindsay. And so that's working out every day. It's not showering with my phone. Um, it's eating three meals a day and not skipping uh, them because it you know feels convenient. It's mm-hmm. not using alcohol or drugs to mask pain, illness, sadness. Um, you know, simple things that I'm going to be on stage tomorrow down in Des Moines speaking at an event. Um, and when you look at my slides, I'm going to look like a fifth grader talking um, because they're really simple. Yeah. Put your phone on do not disturb. Um, you know, go for a long walk on a beautiful day. Yeah. Um, but I think we live in this rat race world where it's what's next and how good can you look on social and, um, you know, instead of focusing on the next, I've tried to live in the now. Yeah. Um, and again, I feel like my therapist called you and was like, ask her tough questions. So she has to reflect even today. <laughs> um, well, I don't I know, I don't know your therapist, so we we've not connected, <laughs> but <laughs> consider it a bonus session for you. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think that, so when I became a mom in 2017, I noticed that my mental health wasn't in as good of a place because I was comparing what was going on, on inside my life, um, between my partner and me and my daughter's milestone and developments compared to these people. Some of them I knew, some of them were just complete strangers and influencers. I was looking at on Instagram and Facebook. And I noticed, you know, that I was starting to feel a lot worse about myself because I was comparing my inside to someone else's outside. And I think people can put up a really good show or front, but you never know what's going on inside someone's, you know, home or life. And I love how you said you're going to be doing a presentation tomorrow and it's going to seem very fifth grade because we deliver similar types of seminars to our clients. And when I do my stress seminar or my unplugged seminar, which is about having healthy boundaries with technology, I'm always like, no, this is not rocket science. I'm just asking you, can you avoid your phone the first hour you're awake or the last hour you're awake of the day? And it really is those simple steps because I think what happens is people overcomplicate the solutions to what will get them in a better place. And some of those solutions can be simple lifestyle behaviors, right? Like um, going for a walk, minimizing screen time. But what about, how did you know or was it basically told you that, you know, this is more of a lifestyle change for you. This is going to require maybe ongoing therapy or medication to help you manage, um, you know, your mental health. Yeah, I think it, you know, cause that's the thing, like, I think we're all on this continuum, right? Um, mm-hmm. I require medication. There's someone else who might be struggling mentally. They don't require medication. Yeah. They just need to make sure they work out every day um, or whatever, sort of the more almost homeopathic, uh, you know, view of it would be, um, for me, I, I don't want to say it was a complete non-negotiable, but I think once I had kids and I recognized, um, this was going to impact their life. Um, that's when it was like, all right, tell me what I got to do. Like I'll, I'll climb 10 mountains a day. Um, and so, you know, I always tell people, I think they're my best medication, um, in that they remind me to stay on it. Um, not, you know, we don't talk about it openly um, yet, but just the, the importance that a healthier, better um, version of mom exists if I would be willing to just 
take off, you know, the cape and instead yeah. say, okay, let's go. Yeah. Um, How do you talk to young children about not necessarily mental health, but emotions and honoring how they feel? And I, I share this story and I laugh because maybe you might have heard it um, before when I've interacted with you. Um, but is uh, about two years ago, my son, uh, Will, didn't want to ride the bus to school. And we're like, you know, this is a blue ribbon wearing kid and he rocks the metal and he stands atop the podium like he's going to get on that bus and, you know, uh, be like Tom Hanks kid in, uh, in, uh, in Forrest Gump, Little yeah. Forest, Forest Jr. That's, that's going to be <laughs> our, our will, like makes a bus driver smile ear ear. And so I remember um, later that day, you know, Billy and I were talking, my husband, I said, hun, like, he doesn't want to ride the bus. And Billy right away was like, did you call Lisa? Um, which I probably shouldn't say, but that's my therapist's name. Um, and he, and I said, what do you, why did I call Lisa about the bus? And he's like, well, maybe he has social anxiety disorder. And I'm like, no, maybe he's a little human that's afraid of right. a big Like, right. and so I think it's important to have these conversations and be aware of mental illness. But the thing that I've tried to really take a big step back and look at is my ability to understand or accept my mental illness has made me super aware of my mental health. And they're two very different things. Yeah. Um, and so I, th I think understanding that, navigating that um, is an important conversation to, ha to have with young people. And it, it has nothing to do with schizophrenia or bipolar or depression right. or anxiety. It's just mentally, if you don't feel well today, how do we get you at a better feeling level or what are the triggers that are causing this? Yeah. Um, you know, thinking at it more from that angle versus always hitting the emergency red button of like, we got to call a therapist. Like the dude was three and just didn't want to get on a big, right. Big moving key. Um, right. Right. So I, I, I think there's a fine line. I think age and stage are super important, appropriate. Um, but I think hands down the biggest, challenge we all have as parents moving forward is the phones and absolutely recognizing what that's doing to kids mentally how they see themselves and mm -hmm. also how they see the world yeah um, it's very different from how we grew up I did notice recently my daughter she had been ex you know she had watched a YouTube video with another little girl on it and all of a sudden she started saying things like I'm not pretty enough my hair isn't long enough and I blocked that channel because I thought, you know what, like we, she doesn't get a lot of screen time and it, she doesn't get a lot of screen time in the form of YouTube, but there are days when I'm working from home with her and I have something I need to do for 30 minutes and that will be a little treat. Um, but I have noticed that sometimes, you know, her behavior is different or the comments that she says are different. And I think it is a direct result of at five years old, she's comparing herself to this person she doesn't know that's living this magnificent life that, you know, we think, um, and it just, yeah, I agree. And I also think not just the screen time that they're getting exposed to, but how they observe adults prioritizing screens in their presence. And so that's something that I'm always trying to be mindful of is, you know, what's the most important thing in the room right now? It's my daughter, not this phone. And yeah, sometimes I have to take a call or do work, uh, but I want to make sure that I do give myself those opportunities to kind of unplug and be with her. Um, you are a former student athlete, a very accomplished and decorated athlete. I would imagine that you started competing at a young age. Were you what, six, seven when you started playing probably, organized sports? Yeah, probably 10, honestly. 10? Okay. I was in a early, early on. 
Well, they start them earlier now. So I'm, I'm about the same age as you. And I don't remember many of my friends doing youth sports before age 10, but now it seems like a lot of them do. But what message would you have to student athletes, whether they're in high school, college? Because you brought up the point of it's all about, you know, pushing through, no pain, no gain, just, you know, always, you know, showing up and being your best. And what about the days when you can't show up and be your best because of it could be a physical health issue, but it could be a mental health issue. Um, but yeah, what message would you have for our young athletes? Um, again, it's, it sounds simple, but I think it's, it's the, it's okay to not be okay. Um, I can't tell you how many quotes, how many Twitter messages, how many um, sayings, you know, I, I've worked with over 40,000 kids in 15 years and I had a quote, I had a anecdote, I had a for everything. And a lot of it was real. Um, but a lot of it, I, the more I looked back at it was like, it was just telling them exactly what they needed to hear, not necessarily what, what they felt, uh, if that makes sense. So like, you know, um, I just, I, I think this whole notion that like, you don't have to um, I used to always say it's another day in paradise. If somebody said, how are you doing? Like, no offense to the weather in Ames today, but it ain't paradise here um, right now. It's, it's you know? not paradise in Des Moines either. So. You know, but you're supposed to be proud of where you're from and you're supposed yeah. to, you know, make, take advantage of every day. So I almost felt like it was this constant war in my brain of like, I don't really feel good, but I'm supposed to tell everyone I'm doing great all the time. Yeah. And I don't think that's, a fair, a healthy, or uh, an enjoyable way to live. Like, um, we just got back from Disney. We were in Disney last week. And, um, you know, the characters are very well taught at Disney. When you are out in the park, you are in character, even down to like um, Minnie Mouse's assistant who walks around and, you know, sort of keeps the temperament at bay. Um, and I think there's almost part of that that I have always been in the park no matter what I'm doing. Uh -huh. um, so I think just teaching people to have decompressed days or to have, um, you know, when I look at my calendar, um, which my therapist has access to, she'll hit me up and be like, eh, you have three straight weeks of something for everyone else almost all the time. Right. When's your off day? Um, and so I think just being able to buffer out those times um, and say, you know, this is an important step back um to make for myself and, and for others um i think that's healthy to teach people at a young age um and again i use my son as an example he had a, a recent class conference um school conference and she was talking about how he's a very vivacious attractable kid in school and everybody likes to talk to him and we're driving home from the conference and i said buddy when you get to school are you do you get tired and he's like yeah like the girls want to talk to me and then the boys get mad that I'm talking to the girls. And then the, he's like, I just feel like, and I, I said, you know, and I had tears in my eyes. I said, you know what, dude, we got to get better at this. Both of us, like, you know, um, we both need to learn how do we fill our cup by just being in space by ourselves. And we yeah. don't always have to be the gregarious, uh, people that are, you know, engaging with others all the time. Are you someone who gets your energy from being in front of a crowd from extroverting and yeah. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I get my energy from solitude, but sometimes that's not good either because I keep everything in my head 
and I don't let people in when I need help. And so it is about finding that healthy balance, whether you're someone who wants to be around people and gets your energy that way, or you're someone who needs alone time. I think it is about finding a balance because I've known, I've recognized in my lifetimes where I've been a little too inside my head and not letting people in to help. And that's hard too, I think, asking for help. Whether you're asking someone to help you pick your kid up from school because your schedule is tight, or you're asking a counselor you know, to help you navigate a problem or you're asking a physician to, you know, give you a medication. I think that asking for help is such a hard, hard step, but it sounds like for you kind of that tipping point or the turning point was in 2018 when you realized I have a family, I have these two kids that if I don't help myself, you know, what, what is it going to be like for them? And so am I correct? And that was your big motivator or your big aha moment? Yeah, I think, I think that was um, a huge part for me behind closed doors um, was accepting that. I think out in the open, um, and I know there's some Iowa State listeners on this, um, but it was honestly, it was George Niang's reaction. Um, you know, again, stepping back, um, I knew that whatever I had, I probably couldn't just hide in the hospital for seven, excuse me, for 21 days and expect people to not start talking here names or figure out what was going on. Um, my husband visited me every day. Um, and when I got out, I had a conversation with George Niang, former Iowa State All-American, now playing in the NBA. And he said, you know, Lynn, we, we do a golf outing in a camp together. And he couldn't get a hold of me for those three weeks. And we're in the planning stages of the camp and the outing. And I said, George, you know, I was hospitalized and I was quivering with my lips because I had never told anyone, yeah. um, you know, about my condition or the fact that I was in the hospital. Because again, I kept 2013 under wraps and I was trying to keep 2018 quiet. And when I told him, he said, he goes, it was silent for like five seconds. I'm like, oh my God, he's going to cut off our camp partnership and we're right. not going to get this really cool golf outing that we do now. And he goes, oh, that's like why you email me at 2 a.m. all the time because you don't sleep well and you're brain never stops moving. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh wait, that that's it. Like that's your response. That's, You're- yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I've told a lot of people that was important for me because in my world where I am connected to a lot of people, I, I at times need the validation or the affirmation from people who whom I respect. And, and George was certainly a key point of my recovery and being able to say, you know what, if George is good, if I got George's like behind my back, I'm you're good. You're good. So yeah, I think oftentimes a lot of anxiety stems from what we expect someone's reaction to be or what we think they're going to think. And oftentimes, you know, they're not, they're not putting nearly as much energy into that as, as we think they are. And so, you know, most people are going to be supportive, right? And the people who aren't are those the people that you want surrounding you. And so it does, you know, it takes a lot of courage to come out and start telling people, you know, the things that you're struggling with. And when people support you, I think it's just more reinforcement that, you know, hey, this is okay. And that person could be struggling too. And you could have just given them an opportunity to say, hey, me too, or I get it. You know, I've been wondering about, you know, something in my life that's not, not really clicking. So that's great. What do you think is the best path to reducing stigma? There is so, still a lot of stigma. Um, I know that you mentioned earlier that, you know, it's not always someone schizophrenic or bipolar or has depression. They can just have an off day because we have a spectrum of mental health. How do we get people to understand that everyone has mental health, 
just like we all have physical health and we have a physical health potential. Um, you know, a lot of us are concerned by how many minutes of cardio we get each week, if we're going to the gym to lift weights, how many steps we're getting a day, but mental health is just as important. But what are those benchmarks and how, you know, how are we going to start normalizing um, those mental health resources in the same way that we've kind of over-focused or I think hyper-focused on how many ounces of water did you drink today? Did you get to the gym five times this week? How many hours of sleep are you getting? It's all, I mean, all of that does affect your mental health, but it's still about the physical body. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, I've heard a couple of good examples. Um, one, Iowa has some of the least number of beds available yes. and um, providers available in our state. So that's, that's a concern. Especially in the rural parts. I mean, when you get into rural Iowa, it's so hard to find someone. And then the person that you find might be someone in your community that you go to church with that makes it uncomfortable for you to connect with in that way. That's what I'm looking at. Um, You know, probably why I talk. I think the other big one is just having a conversation. Like, had I been diagnosed with cancer, I would have told the world. And that's what I'm trying to do now. Um, The conversation doesn't have to be public. Maybe it's you going for a walk with your neighbor. Um, So I think just, again, breaking down that veil and removing the stigma of, um, you know, this is something I'm struggling with. Um, And then I I think the other one that I heard uh, last week, actually, um, was, man, what if we taught this in school? Like kids yeah. go to PE. Um, what if 20% of their PE time as a young child um, was, okay, here's how to be mentally healthy. And we teach them yoga and we teach them meditation. And they go for a slow walk with a classmate and talk about one thing that bothered them from the week before. Yeah. Um, you know, again, not nothing like earth shattering, um, but it's never been on the forefront of conversation. It's never been viewed it is a it is a um you know one of the most significant killers of our population is mental illness and suicide Mm -hmm. um and we don't talk about it the way we talk about cancer and diabetes um so you know i don't i certainly don't have all the answers but i i think the more we can you know you jump off this podcast and think of okay what's one action item that i can do either for myself my family or my community that can improve mental health in some way Um, and I think that's, that's what has to keep happening. Yeah. I love that idea. So how can people, teams, organizations connect with you? Can you share a little bit about what you're doing in the community and how people can connect with you? Um, if they'd like you to present or speak. Yeah. The best thing to do is shoot me an email. Um, it's lynds, L-Y-N-D-S hoops, H-O-O-P-S at gmail.com. Um, I have six speaking engagements over the next three weeks. Um, I believe I still have a website, lindsayspeaks.com. You do. I've um, been to it. <laughs> well, no. Um, I, uh, so yeah, I really, I don't publicize it as much anymore um, simply because of other demands and, sure. and opportunities. Um, but I, I've never said no to a speaking opportunity and, and experience um, because I, I truly do feel it the like I, when I'm on stage and I talk to people about the challenges I've been through, um, I, I never forget where I felt at the lowest moments of my life. Yeah. Um, and I try and take that energy and that, um, that momentum, um, but that feeling and try to connect with as many people as I can, because, you know, I think that's one thing. Um, I heard the word relapse a couple of weeks ago at a therapy session. And I think it's so, um, it's so 
real that that could happen. Um, and so just because I stand on stages and act like I have it all together um, doesn't mean that's the case and nor does it mean for anyone else. Right. Yeah. We're all human and we're human beings, right? We're not human doers. We're not human doings. And so we're human beings and any, you know, anything is possible, both the, the progress that we make and the setbacks that we're going to encounter. So I think that that is also important as it relates to setting expectations for other people in your life and yourself. So this has been such a great conversation and I really appreciate your time. Uh, before we jump off, I want to share um, that I know that there are most likely a lot of Iowa State listeners because of Lindsay's uh, connections to Iowa State. Lindsay, what years were you on the basketball team? 03 to 07? Yep. Did I get it right? Okay. I did my homework. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Iowa State employees, so faculty, staff, full-time, part-time, if you're an employee of Iowa State, you have access to EFR's Employee Assistance Program Benefit. And what this means is that you can call our 800 number, 800-327-4692. It's a 24-7 hotline. You can call to connect with us uh, to set up counseling appointments. You can call to explore legal or financial consultation resources, identity theft restoration, life coaching services. A lot of people associate an EAP benefit with a counseling resource, and we are definitely a a resource for that and as Lindsay mentioned earlier access to counseling is is difficult especially in Iowa and rural Iowa um, but as a result of the pandemic you know from two years ago we're seeing a shortage in providers and so an EAP such as EFRs could be a quicker way for you to get in to see someone um, we also are available if you just want to talk say hey I'm just feeling off I don't know what's going on please call us uh, whether you have you know, your benefits through Iowa State, or I know I have a lot of listeners that have benefits through their their workplaces. But ISU listeners, don't forget about EFR. We're here for you. Just one phone call away. And that phone call is often the hardest thing about the process is picking up the phone or using our um, website chat and just saying, hey, I have a question about my benefits, or I think I need to talk to someone. So if, you, if you're thinking that you should call us, you probably should. And give us a call. We're here for you. Lindsay, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, is there anything you'd like me to include in the show notes? As Can I include your email in the show notes? Sure. Okay, I'll yep. do that. So if you want to connect with Lindsay on a speaking engagement, you can do that. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening to Emotion Well. Please subscribe to us and don't forget to rate us. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunleavy and produced by Emily Wonkong.